Hi, and welcome back to The Mean. I'm Ryan Huber, and with me, as always, is Nick Seagraves. Hey, Nick. Hey, Ryan. Uh, it's been a long time. It's been several months since our last episode. We took a, a hiatus for me to finish my PhD dissertation, which thankfully went well, and so now I can live my life again, and we can get back down to business talking about philosophy and pop culture. And since everything philosophical and pop culture is permeated by politics in our society these days, uh, I think we can we can probably add that to the descriptor of this podcast, that we are a podcast that addresses the philosophical underpinnings of pop culture, but also of politics, because there's really not a lot of separation between those two. When you look at comedy, when you look at music, when you look at everything else. Um, I don't think that we can ignore what happened between our last episode and today, which is the election and the assumption of the presidency of Donald J. Trump. Now, just as a reminder for our listeners, uh, I'm a little center right. Nick is a little center left. Neither one of us voted for Donald Trump. I opposed him from the beginning on grounds of conservative thought and ideological persuasion and character. Uh, Nick has even more reason to oppose Donald Trump. But Nick, to kind of have a welcome back episode, to have an episode where you and I are are doing what we do best, which is to look at pop culture, philosophy, and now um, acknowledging the political aspect of this. How did it first hit you? Before we get into our our major questions, our major segments, when you realized that Donald Trump was the president of the United States of America, what were your impressions? Um, it was surreal, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and not in the way that, you know, the day of his election, people were like, "This just is unreal." Like I feel like I'm living in a in a nightmare or whatever Mm -hmm. it was and you should probably provide some context for people because you you're not in contact with super conservative people all the time although you have a lot of family and friends who are because i think sometimes when you'll do impressions of of people which i love your impressions of people Mm -hmm. what, what kinds of people are you interacting with who are reacting to the trump presidency yeah i mean when i went into work that day this is a very concrete example there was it was almost like going to a like a wake <laughs> it was like yeah people were yeah mourning, right it was no music somber like i remember these two women coming in and holding each other and crying just in yeah, public there were a lot of crying yeah. yeah there were crying meetups all over campuses universities and just to provide the listeners with a little bit more context, Nick works um, near a major university. Mm-hmm. So the politics of kind of left-wing university, identity politics, um, academic politics, those things are, are at play in your everyday life, correct? Absolutely. So people are hugging, people are crying. Like, what? how did you feel, though? Because you're a person who isn't a Trump supporter, but how did you, how were you processing it yourself as you watched people sort of have freakout sessions? I felt sad. I felt disappointed and not in a way that is too different from previous presidencies, if I'm being 
-hmm. very honest. But I felt sad that this lineage and this representation of our country and of our government is now in the hands of someone who I absolutely do not respect in any way. And not in the same way that, like, I don't really love Rand Paul. He's not my favorite person in the whole world. Yeah, not 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 your political cup of yeah. tea. But I see why he's doing the things he's doing. He goes through the process of politics, of respect, of, um, you know... He's fairly consistent ideologically. He doesn't seem like he's just making it up as he goes along. Yes, and the wishy-washy performance, um, high-volume circus-esque social media presence, all of that, I just thought, no one's going to go for this. Because I thought, and maybe I'm completely... Oh, yeah, let's yeah. be clear. You and I were both completely wrong. Yes. I didn't think he would win the nomination. I didn't think that he would win the election. I just thought he was too outside the mainstream of what we have classically understood to be political discourse uh, in the United States. And I was, I was spectacularly mm -hmm. wrong. And I think that's because my experience with a lot of Republicans is that they are morally Republican. So mm -hmm. they value family values. Yeah, it's I've heard the phrase family values and, you know, good old fashioned, uh, traditions i mean that's where the like conservative that's the idea mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah bill o bill o'reilly despite his you know sexual harassment pending mm -hmm. or you know settlements has called himself a traditionalist yeah so the millions of people older americans especially that watch the o'reilly factor people who watch fox news they tend to consider themselves traditionalists. yeah and i saw donald trump as someone who just didn't fit into that narrative because of mm -hmm. his wealth because of his lifestyle even because of his personality like if you lined up a group of men in a room and you know had them talk at a camera people wouldn't be like this guy's the family guy like this is the one that <laughs> yeah. really gets like just growing this up this guy owns owns and judges bikini pageants yes. he's he's the one <laughs> this guy hangs out with Hugh Hefner or whatever yeah. Um, this guy's the guy who represents traditional American values. And he's so not traditional in so many ways. So, like, the most recent president, obviously, Republican president, George W. Bush, is military, is Southern, um, has a large family, obviously, we know most of their names, is a born-again Christian maybe a little dopey at times but mm -hmm. seems good-hearted doesn't drink alcohol yeah kind of i mean trump doesn't drink either but which is a weird kind of yeah well because you can't drink but... coke ryan it's just not something that you do yeah that's true the 80s were a heady yeah. time why drink when you can you don't you don't really have to but to sum it all so up before we kind no. of yeah yeah sum, sum it up and then we can get into a a, a more focused um kind of discussion about trump yeah to sum it up i i i was more appalled by his character which normally i don't even care about that much like i was willing to go with hillary even though she is 
not I don't I don't think I would see Ida with her ethically on a lot of things um mm-hmm. because I thought well at least she'll function in this role hopefully mm-hmm. um but with Trump just the character the nature of his persona is so antithetical to what I like about the American political system that mm-hmm. it, that's that was the biggest disappointment for me all right let's really get into it then this isn't just a podcast where two dudes talk about donald trump this is a podcast where we try to look at some of the deeper underpinnings of cultural phenomena what they mean hence our title so let's dive into question the first major question that we want to try to begin to answer today we're calling this episode postmodern trump and the the first question is directly related to those two words question one have the election of Donald Trump in the first months of his presidency been manifestations of postmodernism? Uh, first, I'd like you to help us kind of revisit um, definitions of postmodernism, working definitions of postmodernism, so that we can have a charitable conversation surrounding that. And then let's try to build a bridge to the actual question. Is is Donald Trump a, a manifestation of postmodernism? So, when you think about postmodernism, it's obviously so many different things. How do you approach it? If you were explaining postmodernism to somebody who had never really grappled with what it means, how would you start to explain it? I would say, in the simplest analogy, it is the fogging of the glass of reason or muddying the methods of thought. So... Because it's mm-hmm. and I would say something similar. I would say something like postmodernism is the acknowledgement that it is difficult to know many things for sure mm-hmm. because of our location. And location can mean a lot of different yes. things. And like you said, it's a huge um school of thought. It's not even really a school. I mean there aren't like It's a movement, yeah. right? It's I mean, we have postmodern art, postmodern music, postmodern poetry and philosophy, literature, mm-hmm. um, political theory. So it's it it's hard to to provide an all encompassing definition for something, but we'll try to at least provide some handles that people can grasp as we talk about whether or not Trump is uh, a manifestation of postmodernism. Is there anything else that you'd like to say, just in support of our working definitions of postmodernism before we we talk about Trump? Just that so many new factors are introduced to questions that before postmodernism were relatively simple. Not simple in that they were easy to understand, but simple in that it was more of a problem of starting premises and uh, reasoning. And postmodernism introduced a lot of different, as you put it, locations, history, gender, sexuality, language, language, just all of these different yeah. things that are now either influenced by our influences, influencers of uh, thought. And mm-hmm. yeah. I think one other thing we should mention before we talk about Donald Trump is that I, I find, I personally find caricatures of postmodernism and postmodern thought, especially postmodern philosophy to be unhelpful. Mm-hmm. 
So a caricature of postmodernism or what we would call extreme postmodernism or something that's that's sort of a, a parody of itself or people who are so committed to it they don't make any sense would be someone who refuses to even argue things using logic because language is meaningless. So somebody who pretends that um, it's really it's really pointless to even talk about anything because there's no meaning in language. We're just playing games, right? Mm -hmm. So so that kind of extreme, nothing means anything, uh, not in an ex existential way, but literally in a, in a verbal linguistic way, like the, the words I'm using don't really mean anything. They're just purely subjective opinions. When we talk about postmodernism, we're not talking about pure 100% subjectivism, which is there is literally no way to ascertain any truth of any statement at any time. Um, we're talking about, like you said, a fogging of the lens in which you can still see things, but maybe not as clearly as you thought you could if, if you're coming from a purely modern uh, perspective. Mm. All right, so let's answer the question. Donald Trump, his election, the first months of his presidency, are they, or to what extent are they, manifestations of postmodernism. It's 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 a tough question. Um it is it's a, a tough, tough question, question because what we said earlier where we don't want to turn postmodernism into like undergrad postmodernism, like philosophy one on one. Postmodernism one on one, yeah. yeah. Um all right, well then let's take an actual artifact from our culture. Okay. Um fairly obviously spurred on by the election of Donald Trump. Time Magazine's cover, Is Truth Dead? Um, 51 years after their Is God Dead cover, same black box, same red font. Is Truth Dead? Does the election of Donald Trump represent the fact that our society is now a post-truth society. Absolutely not. I agree. Yeah. Let's dig into that a little bit. In what ways do you see evidence to the contrary that, that you know, evidence to the contrary that we, in fact, are not a post-truth society? The extreme new Puritanism um, mm -hmm. of both the right and the left um, mm -hmm. the right, it comes more from a place of this, I would argue, out of place austerity of almost like America's slipping through our fingers and everything's going to hell and we just really got to like put it back on the right track. And we know for sure all of these things like they're it's it's like a fundamentalism. It's a return to mm -hmm. um, just unassailable values. And on the left, mm -hmm. it's this social program of identity politics and like this weird tribalism where you just have these doctrines. They're almost like uh Maximus yeah, axioms. They're just these things that can never even be questioned about. So mm -hmm. for example, a great run-in of these two different circles would be 
women who wanted to go to the women's march in DC, but were pro-life for a lot of leftist groups. The, I, the, I, the, even the thought that a woman could not be pro-life just, it doesn't compute. It doesn't Mm -hmm. work. So Mm -hmm. they, they said the the March organizers said we're disinviting this organization. That's a pro-life feminist organization because one of our unity principles, this was their language, one of our unity principles is unrestricted access to reproductive rights, mm-hmm. uh, which is a euphemism for unrestricted as- access to abortion. And even in a charitable reading of this phrase would probably include repeal of the Hyde Amendment, which would mean taxpayer taxpayer funding of abortions. So you're saying to you know more than half the women in America who are uncomfortable with that kind of a setup of unrestricted access to abortion you cannot be part of our unity team because you violate our unity principles and therefore um definitionally cannot be a feminist you you like to be a feminist you cannot disagree with us on this issue that seems a fairly bold a fairly modern or even traditionalist truth claim um that belies the notion that we're living in a time in which truth is dead. Yeah. I think the impact of postmodernism on popular culture is severely overblown by academics. Um, I think it's, it's, it's incredibly uneven mm -hmm. because I think although many in our culture, especially on the left, and 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 even younger conservatives will say, well, I I acknowledge that my story is different than your story. My perspective is different than your perspective. Uh, my truth might even be different than your truth. Um, this in no way means, uh, as our colleague Bernie Belvedere pointed out in in Arc Magazine or our Arc Digital Media article, um, we're associated with Arc. Um, he pointed out people don't actually believe there's no truth. They just believe that they're right and that everybody else is wrong and that they don't really want to argue about it all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. So Ber- Bernie's basically saying in this in this article, he thinks the actual influence of postmodernism in people's own minds as they try to think about what is true and what is not true has been very small. It's that people use the cloak of postmodernism to try to get along because so many of us are, feel so strongly or think so um, we're so locked into certain thought patterns or certain beliefs that we need some kind of social lubricant. And we go, well, you know, that's your story. I have my story, but we don't really mean my truth isn't true. We still are very much committed to the idea that we know the truth, that we have the truth. Yeah. And you can see that in the um, willingness to violence that both sides have. I think any and even even not even even not full blown violence mm-hmm. like you 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 can recall the video of the young um, woman from Yale screaming at one of her professors for not doing the thing that she thinks Yale should be doing. So he want he thinks that the point of places like Yale is to provide an environment and for intellectual growth and challenge. She says she screams at him literally. No, your job is to pro- provide a home for us. Mm-hmm. Now, if she had truly been steeped in postmodernism that uh, is fairly committed or or even fairly um, consistent, 
then she probably wouldn't be screaming a truth claim at anybody, right? She she wouldn't be she wouldn't be screaming something she thought was true if she thought, well, you know, this may or may not be true. Mm-hmm. And even in a charitable reading of postmodernism, so let's let's take the most rational form that we talked about uh, at the beginning of the episode. There is a implied distrust of authority in postmodernism. Mm-hmm. So authority about um, in, from institutions, from the government, from schools, from all these different places. But to follow that, you, there was kind of in the initial postmodernism, it's like, oh, the universities don't accept this. So forget them, you know, like whatever. We're just kind of doing it ourselves. Where now the attitude is there should be a bureaucratic team of student safety builders whose job it is is to make sure the university is conforming to correct procedures regarding my feelings of safety and welcomeness or something. And so... Mm-hmm. I think a really weird thing about these quote unquote postmodern people is they want affirmation from major cultural authorities, which was never ever part of the system. Like the critique of postmodernism mm-hmm. wasn't the government doesn't recognize that this and this is true or, you know, insert whatever. Yeah, they don't yeah. care. Because how could it be? Like institutions like um for Foucault psych wards or prisons or schools are always going to be locked in this way of thinking that just excludes and trivializes individual experience in front of the truth so mm-hmm. why would you ever want a school to affirm what you're doing like it should be enough that you know. And to be fair as well, I'm not saying that's how I wish it was. I do think universities and our government and major cultural institutions should play a part in your development as a human being and especially as a citizen of this country. Mm-hmm. So I definitely, I'm I'm not saying I agree with that radical dismissal of everything. But if you were to say that, if you were to use feminism that's based off of Foucault's critiques, if you were to use post-colonialism that's based off of hundreds of other people's very strongly postmodern critiques, I I just don't see why there's this need for affirmation then from major culture. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I would I would say, so you and I are arguing, just to be clear, that our culture hasn't bought into postmodernity at a deep level. We sometimes use it as a cloak or a mask or sort of a thing that you can say to try to appeal to um, some kind of non-common ground, common ground, like, hey, we both both don't agree on this, right? (laughs) Like, you don't think this, and I don't think this either. Great. Um, But let's push back on our own idea. Could someone like Donald Trump, who everyone acknowledges, or most everyone acknowledges, has a fairly casual relationship with the truth and facts, could Donald Trump have been elected 50 years ago? Or or could someone like him that just really said one thing and then said another? I'll give you a, an example I brought up before in our conversations. Literally at a Republican debate during the primary, 
he criticized a Spanish language reporter. I forget if it was Univision or what station it was and said, you guys are trash. Basically, you guys are a terrible news organization. The reporter replied, you've actually praised us in the past and said how much you like us. And he immediately said, you're right. I love you guys. So, <laughs> so to have a man who can just say, I think a, and then in the same breath say, I think not a, right? This is a fairly radical version of a political failure to be consistent or to, to adhere to the truth. So doesn't that undercut our argument that we, it's hard to imagine this kind of flying in any other cultural milieu. Mm. I think there's some truth in that. Um, I think that for him to even get a spot in the Republican party, which is still kind of unbelievable to me that people were like, yeah, this is, this is great. Like, well, because he's not a Republican. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it shows that maybe people don't believe explicitly in postmodernism, but perhaps they are exhausted with other options. And by that, I mean, hmm. sure. Donald Trump may be the first president who like on Twitter will go back and forth, who will while campaigning literally say that China is raping our economy. And now yeah. is like, no, there are like, I love them very much. So great smiley face. Like, it's mm -hmm. a complete turnaround. But how different is that from what politicians do just behind closed doors? You know, like... Okay, so it seems like what you're saying is that politicians um, maybe more nuanced or more clever or more hidden casual relationships with relationships with the truth over the last decades have paved the way for this more bald faced version of the same thing. Yeah. I think it's like when you see every single television depiction of politics as a incompetent clown fiesta of just human mm -hmm. ignorance and or just dark and, evil manipulation yeah, and like Machiavelli Satan, plus like yeah, there are no other political de depictions that are popular media. The only ones in recent uh, memory of positive political figures are something that is almost extra political that makes them good. So I am the first gay man to be elected to the Senate. And so mm -hmm. because of that fact, I in even so obviously with Harvey Milk, like it, it focuses more on his struggle of reconciling his sexuality with his politics and not really his political agendas. It's not like, here's all these great initiatives that he did and he really campaigned for this. It was more like overcoming the struggle of being gay and running for office. And I would say the last piece of cultural, last piece of culture that I, that I can recall that was almost completely unironically positive about what politics can be is the west mm -hmm. wing which was the early 2000s absolutely so we're talking 10 years ago plus um you don't really get so much of that i haven't watched the Kiefer sutherland show 
designated survivor, but it's the, the premise is that everyone else gets wiped out and he's like the secretary of education or some low level guy and he has to figure out how to be president. So even that is, you know, he's not he didn't run for president. Yeah. They're not celebrating somebody who did it the old-fashioned mm -hmm. way. When you look at Scandal or The Good Wife or House of Cards or Veep, it's exactly what you're yeah. saying. It's These are pieces of art that are either mocking the buffoonery of our, of our politics and how truth doesn't matter or sinking into the dark swamp of uh, deceit and Machiavellian um, manipulation that is also a void of any kind of truth or principle. Mm -hmm. So it seems to be widely, and Congress's approval rating is like 8%. Yeah. So it seems widely acknowledged that truth is almost entirely absent from our politics. Mm -hmm. I think that's an overstatement, but it seems to be the cultural moment. Yeah. And so perhaps people actually think of Donald Trump as more truthful because he's being blatantly post-truth rather than trying to disguise that. Fact. I mean, that's true. I, I have friends who voted for Donald Trump and the reasoning behind it for a few of them at least was utter exhaustion with the political system and even mm -hmm. if they don't agree with everything he said he was willing to quote unquote buck the system by like pulling off his mask and saying look I flip-flop on opinions for whatever's popular I am a kind of marketed as this like ruthless businessman, which most people try to like avoid, but I guess it's him being honest. And even the way he spoke in the debates was so demeaning, aggressive and performative that it was almost for some people a relief because in reality, everyone else is doing that. They're just doing it passively. Mm -hmm. So and on the internet. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He actually, it's interesting. He, he sort of just talks like people talk to one another on the internet. Yes. And I know it's very like high school history class of me, but I've always seen a representative democracy as your politics kind of holds a mirror up to you. Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly correct. That's exactly correct. We elect the politicians. Mm -hmm. We either believe them or don't. We either succumb to them or we don't. We, we either hold them accountable or we don't. We are in a democratic representative uh, republic. Mm -hmm. we, we choose these people. So if they're awful, we cannot wash our hands and say, well, we're not awful at all. We're in, we're complicit in this, at least to some degree. We have to be. And if Donald Trump is simply a more bald-faced uh, manifestation of our detachment from the truth, then we've got to own part of that as well. Yeah. And I think that helps bring us to our second question. We can continue to weave the first question together with the second question, but... How different is the Trump administration compared to previous... Um, presidencies how how much how much more how much more imperial is he as a as a president how much more dictatorial is he i know we've heard a lot of rhetoric about you know hitler and mussolini and other people like that but to you as someone who is almost across the board in opposition to trump how do you how different is he compared to what you're hearing from your left of center or leftist friends about um this moment 
this moment in history, this historical um, sort of outlier that he is. Yeah. I would like to start off by saying one of my least favorite critiques of Trump uh, is on aesthetic reasons. So I've heard a lot of people say things like he's so image focused. Everything is about appearances for him and he'll do anything to make things look good and look regal and look powerful. And I just think that's so ridiculous because when has that not ever been a part of politics? Ever like in the history? Give me, give me, give me an example from the United States, maybe the presidency, where you think, well, this isn't that different. FDR hiding his disease, like obviously yep. that's wartime. So you, it's there's also an international reason for that. So let's pick something else. Mm-hmm. JFK, JFK wearing makeup on television. This is you know you know it's that landmark thing of people who listened on the radio thought he lost the debate. But people who watched it mm-hmm. on television thought he won it um, because mm-hmm. he, because Nixon was sweating because Nixon was sweating and Nixon refused to put on stage makeup because why you know that's not part when before things are so heavily filmed and di- uh, not digitalized but put through mass media in a way that people can actually watch you moving and talking it's becomes mm-hmm. more theatery and so this is nothing new sure you could say maybe like everything else we just said he's more honest about it and he definitely looks more spray tanned than past presidents yeah there's something there's something going on there but in terms of louis the 14th level of aesthetic stuff no in terms of roman chinese any type of ruling government body has always had a very strong need for appearances that's never not been the case so i yeah i wouldn't say that the the trump administration's pageantry really outstrips most political leaders of any stripe in history like he's not he's not actually more flamboyant if you kind of zoom out than the vast majority of people who've ever held power in large human societies now he is an outlier compared to an understated barack obama Mm -hmm. Or even kind of a folksy George W. Bush. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a little bit more flamboyant in certain ways than, you know, the I'm flirting with everybody through the camera Bill Clinton. No. But I don't know. I don't think it's as much of an outlier as as we try to pretend that it is. So so in terms of the postmodern, because we're talking about postmodernism and Trump, there's this postmodern critique of power, right? That powerful people use language to normalize their abuse of power. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, how much more is Trump doing that, you think, if if more at all, maybe he's doing it less, I'm not sure, than, than the Obama administration, than the Bush administration? Is Would Foucault have a harsher critique for Trump uh, than, than he would have had for the last few presidential administrations? I can't really speak on that. I'm not like a huge Foucault guy. Um, okay. I would say from what I have read, no. Compared to Bush, for example, or Reagan. Reagan's a great example of this. Um, the way things were worded and in, in, um, phrased and kind of an issue slowly 
transformed into another issue. Um, Mm -hmm. Anything to do with um, families or whatever their talking points were. So with Bush, there's this huge push for like safety and whatever. And so in a hypothetical, you know, obviously this is a political, politically contested viewpoint, but let's say the war in Iraq was mostly motivated by reasons that didn't have to do with weapons of mass destruction. I think you can Mm -hmm. see that the abuse of safety versus freedom, the abuse of national security. I mean, the Patriot Act in and of itself is such a huge, um, kind of middle finger to small government in a way, which is kind of the platform for those candidates. Um, There's that. But he would also be very critical of Obama because when Obama did things that didn't really line up with stuff, so the drone fiascos, uh, his record of deportation of immigrants, which he has a very high one, Mm -hmm. um, they were just not said. So I don't really know what's worse. Like someone... Yeah, Obama is almost the guy that's so smart he doesn't have to lie. Like, other people definitely lied for him, and he, uh, one issue in which he actively said things that turned out not to be true, I can't say whether they were lies or just his failure of being able to predict things that were fairly obvious to those of us on the right, was when he was selling Obamacare. Mm -hmm. He promised a lot of things that ended up not happening, and a lot of us predicted that they wouldn't happen the way he was saying they were going to happen. So I can't say he was lying, but his relationship to what turned out to be the truth was was not not great. Um, you, you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. The only thing that's going to change is that your premiums and costs are going to go down. Uh, this is not a government takeover of, of medicine, all these things. So these are politically contested, but, uh, and I've written an article on this, many of his claims that he made during the, the powerful political push to pass the, the affordable care act, many of these promises turned out not to be true. So that's the thing I think that you can kind of nail them on the most, especially if you're not a fan of the ACA. Mm-hmm. Um, but on most other issues, he didn't actually have to say things that weren't true. He could he could just not tell the whole truth. He could leave things out. He could just say, well, that's not something. Or he could do the, the his famous on the one hand, but on the other hand, mm-hmm. kind of, you know, both and kind of speech, which, I mean, he's a professor. He's a smart guy, professor of con- constitutional law. So he knows how to make arguments that sound completely honest, but that hide unpleasant yeah. facts. Well, the idea of doublespeak has is not something that came about during the Trump presentation uh, presidency. This has been yeah. part of the problem of modern politics for a very, very long time. Obviously, monarchs and dictators don't really deal with this issue as much uh, because they don't really have anyone to lie to. I mean, they lie all the time, but it's almost, it's not much as much trickery as it is I just can say and do whatever I want. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. The more powerful you are, the less you have yeah. to lie. If you have ultimate power, you don't actually have to lie at all because you don't have to keep anybody happy because it doesn't exactly. matter. Exactly. And so I think, you know, especially compared to something as actively um, evil as, as, just to be frank, of Nixon, mm-hmm. I think... Trump compared to him 
is really no comparison. I mean, unless I, this is getting kind of conspiracy theory, but like, let's, you know, unless there really was a very strong Russian involvement in this election, which, you know, as, as yet to be determined, but the, the strongest Russian involvement that's even been put forward by, by most responsible parties, by most even left of center um, organizations is that the Russians were involved in the hacking of Hillary Clinton's campaign, the damage of which, which was to reveal the true things, <laughs> to reveal the truth about the, the Clinton campaign, right? So, so almost nobody is saying that the Russians got hold of election, uh, like electronic election vote counters, yeah. right? Like, or like actually made the election different mm -hmm. physically, but that they tried to influence it through the media and through the releasing of um, damning true information about Hillary Clinton. Like most people aren't claiming anything beyond that. So if, if something really did happen, that was more, engineered than that you could you know we just don't know yet we just don't know whether or not there are layers of um political manipulation that go beyond the nixonian which is kind of hard to yes do. i mean you've reached a point when you're at that level of just corruption it's you know it's it, there isn't an argument anymore <laughs> like i don't think people are like is this good is this bad like there isn't an argument anymore and i think even though I said all of this about him and about his um, last, how many days has it been now? I don't even know. Slightly over 100, I think. His last 100 plus days in office is, it's almost scary that he is being accepted for it, though. Does that make sense? No, not yet. Clarify that. So I understand people are exhausted with the political system. All of our popular media paints politics as just like a wasteland of ethics and morality. Nothing's going right. Nothing works. But to immediately jump from this system isn't really working and I'm not really satisfied with how it's playing out to basically what I would describe as a like world burner politician or someone yeah. who is ready to just destroy the establishment and not in the fun sixties way, but in the like, who knows what he's even going to do in a month. Like no one can predict what mm -hmm. is happening inside his head because we don't even know who he, like no one knows anything. It's, it's mm -hmm. almost just because everything was so bad, why would this be the answer ever, ever? It's almost, it's like a submission to it. It's a pessimistic outlook of... To, for, for you, what is the submission to it? Like, what, it, what, what is the manifestation of the submission to this course of events? It's, if politics is going to be like this... Let's just turn the volume up. It's that kind of submission. Like, instead of being like, well, then we... But but I guess I'm asking on whose part. Like, who who's submitting to this? I think younger voters. I think Trump's rhetoric was strong enough and selective enough, and he knew enough buzzwords to win over key groups. So, for example... Uh, 
manufacturing cities that are now completely just run to the ground. Yep. Um, yep. Bring jobs back. People who are sick of being told that they are the simultaneously most powerful people in the on the planet and also worthless at the same time mm-hmm. older white older guys. white guys older white guys who have lost their jobs or maybe aren't satisfied mm-hmm. with their jobs i think mm-hmm. so those are his bases but now you're saying young voters are succumbing I to this in some way young voters can't relate to those talking points because it, it i mean literally it's not talking to them like you know most young people who I would say voted for Trump aren't like, well, I'm in a coal mining family in Pennsylvania and I just kind of, I really hope he gets rid of these environmental sanctions so that my fam, I can be in my family business of mining coal. Um, It's much more from the people I know who voted for him, a, I'm just giving up with politics. I'm just mm-hmm. so basically I'm embracing the complete collapse of any kind of accountability, truth, structure, representation. Mm-hmm. I want this guy to just completely destroy this, this yes. system. And I think the most reasonable of those people are like, I don't even agree with anything he says. It's just better than another eight years of the same part of my language, but bullshit like just. Yeah, so so it's more anti-status quo than it is pro this guy from Queens. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That that is what I'm describing. That's the scariest part to me is that at least we have this like entertaining murder clown to lead our country than you know Hillary doing stuff that typical politicians do all the time, which isn't working. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about maybe now's not a good time, but can we talk about the phrase isn't working? Um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's up there with in on my hate list with uh, the phrase getting things done. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, as a as a conservative, I don't I don't want the government to have gotten a lot of things done that they've gotten done in the last 50 years. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't. If getting things done means that we're $21 trillion in, in debt, then I don't want you to... Whatever those things that you were getting done, I don't want you to get those things done, if that's if that's what it means. So I'm not, I'm not sure we have the space for an expansive conversation in this episode, but I think it's a, an important question to ask that what do we talk about when we talk about effectiveness or efficiency or results? Um, is there anything you'd like to say on that before we move on to question three? Yeah, the, well, also realizing where these narratives are being, who's selling these narratives and who's buying them. So, okay. for example, you just listed four or five major television productions about this issue. Mm-hmm. Produced by huge companies with tons of employees, yep. greenlighted by yep. old businessmen who care about mm-hmm. the bottom line. This is not radical. Um, I don't think it means it's... Yeah, this is accepted. I don't think it means it's not true, but it's not radical to think that the government, that politicians aren't who they say they are, and maybe bureaucracy has a downside, and whoa, sex scandal, wow. These things 
aren't mind-blowing revelations if you can get on Netflix and just immediately have a you know something like this handed to you. And again, I'm not talking to the validity or their soundness or if it's even a good reflection of not of her politics. I'm just saying I think this idea that the American system isn't working and everything's just so much worse than it's ever been in a lot of ways leads to Trump more than mm-hmm. at and it's not true because there are a lot of parts of the system that are working like like most most of the time you just can't be murdered without any repercussions yes most of the time most of the time there are there is something approaching equal justice under law although we can talk about our criminal justice system in another episode most of the time when you vote your vote actually is counted by somebody and they go nixie graves voted for somebody your vote like it's not this is not um you know 2002 iraq under saddam hussein mm-hmm. right this is this is not this is not a complete disconnect between the things that we say our country is founded upon i mean we still have cases heard by the supreme court yeah. right <laughs> that are public we have a media that because it is so divided, at least does an okay job holding politicians accountable because the ones on the left will be held accountable by the right-wing media. The ones on the right will be held accountable by the left-wing media. So it, it seems like we still do have some kind of freedom of speech, some kind of freedom of assembly. Like It doesn't seem like our entire system is crumbling. It seems like we have a problem with how problems are solved on the margins mm-hmm. rather than this isn't working. Like Let's try to find a completely new system. Maybe we should give monarchy or tyranny or direct Athenian democracy another yeah. try. And you can even see that with how Trump's immigration pol- policies have fared so far in our court systems. Like There was an immediate reaction i mean they're like no man the speed at which these states and organizations sued the federal government and were heard and argued about and decided and yes it's still up in the air it hasn't gone through everything obviously these things can happen and they do happen and this isn't me giving Mm -hmm. a giant apology for like america is great but just remembering that you are being sold a narrative that's easier to sell because it's also a narrative of self-righteousness. There's this implicit, like, I'm I'm a good, honest person, and how would I be in this crazy political world of two-faced, backstabbing, hungry politicians and their inept mm-hmm. and sexually charged aides? You know, like, yeah. I, I don't know. Well, and also media narratives. I mean, it's really easy to sell CNN headlines about conflict. It's really hard to sell headlines like, hey, it's kind kind of working mm-hmm. mostly. You know, like like it's 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 easy easy to be Malthusian and sell books. It's hard to be like, hey, things are kind of better for most people than they've ever been for those people almost yes. ever. So that's that's sort of the the counterweight to I think we've answered the question in saying in some ways, tr- the Trump administration is significantly different from previous imperial presidencies. But in many ways, it's not. In many ways, they're just kind of, they seem more bumbling and more kind of, their foibles are more out in the open. They're not as good at covering. They're not as good at kind of the double talk of politics. And for some people, they like that because they would like to know when they're being lied to more obviously mm-hmm. than, you know, like when Obama was trying to say something that maybe wasn't fully true. And I think that leads us to our third question, which has everything to do with 
what the Trump administration has been in our eyes, our perspective, and how it differs from previous administrations or our expectations of, of what it would be like. So question number three, what has surprised you about the Trump administration so far? That, I mean, it's a pretty straightforward question. I'll let you answer first because I know exactly what surprised me the most about the Trump administration. What do you think? You go first. I want you to go first. Please. Okay. I'll go first. I'll go first. Uh, that Trump kept his promise to small government conservatives in nominating uh, an eminently qualified conservative originalist textualist jurist in Neil Gorsuch for the Supreme Court and put enough political capital on the line through Mitch McConnell and others to say, we're getting this done. This is going to happen. I don't care what you have to do. I'm keeping my promise. Like the fact that whoever's in the White House, whoever has his ear, whether it's Mike Pence or someone else, Trump said, this is a promise I made. I put out a list of conservative uh, uh, jurists that I could select from. I selected one of the very best and brightest. And I said, this is my pick. And I delivered on that promise to conservatives. The day, a couple days ago, when Neil Gorsuch was confirmed as a Supreme Court justice, in retrospect, in retrospect, it might end up being the best day of the Trump presidency for conservatives. That might have been the high point of the Trump administration for conservatives. Mm. It's shock, shocking to me that he kept that promise, honestly. And I've been wrong about a lot of things with Trump, but I didn't think that he would be reliably conservative in any way and his presidency on the whole on 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 the whole hasn't really been um but the the nomination of neil gorsuch was an absolute home run with uh with ideological conservatives hmm my that's my answer nick <laughs> mine would be his <clears throat> his willingness to compromise on the immigration stuff you know it's Mm. to go from we're going to do in like sure you can make the argument that maybe he got his hand slapped and so he's just trying to get something done but mm -hmm. he very much took a slightly extremist view in my opinion of yeah how we handle immigration to one that's still pretty out there but is also obviously willing to start making compromises you know and start making ways of naturalizing immigrants and um, mm -hmm. getting this list of countries fixed, getting it a uh, little bit more nuanced than just an all out ban mm -hmm. on different mm -hmm. uh, places. And I thought, yeah, I think your point, I think your point is even broader. I, it could be made even broader. I think his willingness to compromise and to actually kind of admit he was wrong by 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 making adjustments on the fly that kind of that extreme pragmatism that doesn't kind of care about what the previous position was and this relates to the to point number one mm -hmm. right like a manifestation of postmodernism he's changed his mind on a number of things and just said yeah i don't think that anymore like he was he was like pro torture until mattis came in and was like no we can't do that he was like nope we can't do that like, like he, he changed his position slightly on immigration. He changed his position on Syria in the course of three yeah. days from 
totally non-interventionist to we're going to fire these cruise missiles because these babies were, were gassed, which I'm not even speaking on the merits of any of these things, but the, the extent to which he's willing to be wrong and then change his position to, in order to be more right in his own eyes when given advice, that's that's been very surprising. Yeah. So I think I think you're onto something. Well, in, in the face of just undeniable things. So when there are these biological chemical attacks, you, what is he expected to do? You know, like it would be well, Obama. Obama just went hands yeah. off in 2011. He drew the red line, and then obviously it was crossed by thir- 2013. It was obvious that Assad had crossed that line in Syria. Obama was like, nope. Like Obama was just like he just avoided it for the for the next three and a half years. Mm-hmm. And Trump in three days was like, no, this is clearly a violation of the chemical weapons thing we're going in. Yeah. Whether you like it or not, yeah. I mean, it just seems it's crazy how responsive he is to certain things. I think that's almost like the weird silver lining of, of a populist, someone who wants to be popular, is that when people, and this could definitely have downsides yes. and will, um, but when people go, hey, there's people being murdered over there with chemical weapons, like, you should probably do something about that. Or when someone says, like, hey, it's really unfair how the your immigration, your executive order on immigration was like he actually seems to kind of respond to people because I think he wants to be loved at least by his base. Yes. And if there is a large enough movement of people who seem like they would at least kind of support him, then I think he'll listen to them. Obviously, yeah. on the far left, he doesn't give, you know, he doesn't care. No, the yeah. 25% of the American citizenry that considers themselves part of the, quote, resistance, mm-hmm. that it doesn't matter like it's going to be like what the far right was with obama yeah. there's never going to be a happy marriage yeah. there and can i just <clears throat> can i just say i am so sick of fascist tyranny dystopian language being used about this presidency i'm very tired yeah. i mean i'm it, it literally exhausted it makes me tired just talking about it right now like Mm-hmm. The fact that, you know, people, I was reading all these articles, 1984 is huge, just blew up after Trump got elected, blah, da, 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 da. And everyone, I mean, there's like t-shirts that are like, you know, don't submit to fascism and it's his face and all these different things. Yeah, people are, when people call themselves part of the resistance, they're comparing themselves to the resistance of Adolf Hitler on the continent of Europe during World mm-hmm. War II. Which is laughable on so many levels, I'm not even going to get into it, um, because people gave their lives for that, and um, people were being rounded up into concentration camps and literally murdered. And the radical left has you know, hysterically suggested that there will be camps, yeah. right? That there will be camps for gay people or camps for Muslims. Um, I don't think we have time for that today, but I think that that is part of... Um, the fracturing of our society and everyone kind of having their own version of the truth. And uh, we're kind of out of time here, so we need to wrap it up. And I think it's a good, a good place to wrap it up with. uh, What do you think is going to happen next? Like if you had to predict something, if you had to put a hundred dollars down on a bet uh, in Vegas, what would you say in the next six months to a year? What's one thing that you really think is going to happen? What's going to happen next with the Trump administration? Barring an international event of significant, significant magnitude, like September 11th, that, 
like September 11th are something that directly affects Americans' feelings of safety or security, mm-hmm. whether that's economic or military, doesn't matter. Um, I think things will coast. And I'm not just saying that because, you know, it's how it always was. It's how it always mm-hmm, will be. Mm-hmm. It's more, the more and more he listens to people and the more and more people who, you know, during the primaries, this always happens. You have to be so Republican and so Democrat because you're trying to convince people that that's really, really, you are the most Republican, Republican, you are the most Democrat, Democrat. And I think once you've secured the primary victory, and then once you've secured the presidency, there's kind of a relaxation Mm -hmm. of we need to be this unified party. And we can already see that with this health reform, you have major Republican groups saying no we're not yep. we're not doing what you want well so, and significantly in the last few days we've learned that steve bannon the sort of populist blue collar class you know almost like a weird pseudo anti-crypto marxist like rise up against the mm-hmm. the liberal progressive elitist globalist oppressors kind of that guy has been ousted mm-hmm. a little bit in the inner circle Someone who yeah. was more of an economic nationalist. Some people would say a white nationalist, but he calls himself an economic nationalist. He's been ousted in favor of Trump's uh, son-in-law, Jared Kushner, who's an out-and-out liberal, as is Ivanka, his daughter. They're just liberals. Yeah. That's just what they are. They're limousine liberals. They like the whole government and big business doing things together. But they're closer to Clintons than they are to any kind of Republican. So I... Mm-hmm. I'm going to say it, it'll be a coasting and it'll be kind of a back and forth. Trump will do things that makes both sides, that things that make both sides kind of outraged. But I think the thing that seems most likely to happen in the next year is some kind of infrastructure, big infrastructure spending deal uh, that moderate Democrats um, and people like Chuck Schumer of New York get on board with, that there's going to be a big mm-hmm. spending plan to get people to work and to stimulate the economy in a classically left of center way um, that some people on the the freedom caucus and kind of the right right wing of the Republican Party, the more conservative fiscal conservatives, they'll make a lot of noise about. But most people will be like, oh, that kind of makes sense to me. And he'll be able to cobble together the votes that he needs, um, unlike what, what happened with reforming Obamacare. Although that reform mm-hmm. effort is not dead yet, I think that it's much more likely that certain tax reforms and that this infrastructure bill um, are, are going to happen. Uh, yeah. That's my that, and, that's my prediction, and it's probably going to be wrong because I'm wrong all the time about Trump. I don't know anything about yeah. Trump. Well, the one thing we know for sure is that it will be funny in a sad way sometimes, but it will be his tweets, his vernacular. Mm-hmm. I mean, think of the amount of impersonations we will have for so long so good. because of this. And I, I think the the clearest thing with this first with like think of his major things we already see resistance from within our own government to his policies yep. period and that's why all of these doomsday this is the new this is the fourth reich which isn't even i don't even understand no, what people are saying. i can't let's not do that yeah it's like do you understand this is not a unilateral system the republican party isn't even a monolith of agreement on these well i know people who don't work for the cia and Mm -hmm. they don't they're not on the trump train man 
that like like our deep state is not aligned with this president. Yeah. So this might be a lot more brave new world than 1984. Mm. Mm. You got anything? I think else? it's just going to be. I just think it's going to be Fahrenheit. You, That's you think I'm so? Thinking. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to leave it there uh, for today. That's our first episode back, postmodern Trump. We will be talking you, to you uh, next week uh, featuring a special guest that um, shall remain nameless, but foreign policy will be the topic. And we hope that you'll join us. But for now, this has been Ryan. And Nick. And you will hear from us next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.